Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Southland City Church. Uh, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're honored that you are here. Uh, more about that as we get into our topic at hand today. Uh, but a little bit later on in our gathering, uh, we're going to turn toward Eucharist or Communion or the Lord's Supper or whatever you've heard it called. Uh, this is a sacred meal for us, and we just always like to clarify how we approach that so that you can find your way into it if you'd like to. Uh, first of all, you may be wondering, like, is communion for me? Am I allowed to do that here? Uh, yes. All right, next question. Uh, sorry. No, really, for us, it's really simple. Uh, communion is for anybody who wants to be at the table with Jesus, period, end of story. So you may have some questions about what you believe, or you may not be proud of the week that you just lived through, or whatever. R really, none of that matters for our understanding of the nature of this table, but rather it's um, just a, a grace-filled, welcoming place for anybody who wants to be at the table with Jesus, so we would love to welcome you at the table with Jesus. When we get to that point in the gathering, a little bit later on, it'll be really obvious, and I'll serve the people who are going to serve you, and, and then you'll be invited if you'd like to get up out of your seat, and you'll be able to go to a table in one of the corners. And when you get there, you'll find people who are ready to look you in the eye and serve you. And you, you can simply hold out your hands like that. You don't have to take anything at Jesus' table because he freely gives. When you hold out your hands, somebody's going to put a piece of gluten-free, dairy-free, nut-free bread in your hand. And they're going to remind you the body of Christ broken for you. You can hold on to that for a moment. Don't eat it yet. And then step over and somebody will hold out a cup for you. And they'll remind you the blood of Christ shed for you. And you can take the bread and dip it in the cup and take that and eat that. And that'll be our practice a little bit later in our gathering. Before we get there, though, uh, we have been talking um, about one of the big ideas that has shaped South and City Church from the beginning. It's an idea that we try to live up to. Uh, however imperfectly, it's something we feel convicted about and called to. It's one of our community mantras. Uh, it's illustrated on the wall there. And the mantra is, everyone an icon, which is to say every life is sacred. Every story is sacred. Every body, every person, you and everyone around you walk around with this divine sort of weight and significance in the world. It means that any act of disrespect or disparagement is not just an act of disrespect or disparagement, but when, when we come against one another, we're actually desecrating sacred objects when we come against one another. This uh, means, first of all, that there's a dignity to being human for you and for every person you meet. And it's unassailable, and even if we try to diminish it or ignore it, it doesn't go away. The dignity is still there, even if you don't know that about yourself yet. That's why we talked about that the first week. And I hope, if anything, maybe you walked away from that feeling like your head held a little higher, maybe your shoulders set back and your chest got a little bigger, and maybe you are able to tell yourself, it's good for you to be you. Let me say that again, it's good for you to be you. Like, what a beautiful gift for the world. And it also means that it's good for your neighbor to be your neighbor, right? Uh, there's a dignity for them that we're also trying to learn how to see. So we talked about dignity. And then we talked about creativity last week. And by creativity, remember, we're not talking about the artsy ones, right? We're talking about the manifold human calling on every life to do the kinds of things that God does in Genesis 1, which is to get your hands on the raw materials and make something beautiful. It's to take chaos and turn it into order, to see potential and woo it into reality. It's to bring more and more diversity and flourishing into the world. And every person, every kind of work, every life, every context has some opportunity to do some of that stuff. And when you do that stuff, you're actually living into this powerful, godly sort of thing that we've been invited to be a part of as human beings in the world. So we talked about dignity and creativity, and uh, today uh, we're going to go into another sort of expression of this idea. I also want to remind you, though, uh, that this whole thing is driving toward baptism, which is happening for our community on October 10th and 13th. 
And I hope what's becoming clear is, while baptism has a lot of meaning packed into it, one of the very clear things that it, is, that it, it means or that it represents for us is that you're, you trust that Jesus is interested in leading you back into your true full self, that Jesus is interested in helping anybody who discovers that the image of God has not been fully expressed in their life. He's interested in sort of restoring that and leading you further into the expression of that. Uh, so baptism's coming up. You've got some information on your seat. You can ask us if you've got any questions by emailing us or talking to one of us uh, on a Sunday morning or a Thursday night, and we'll look forward to that. Uh, that being said, uh, you guys ready for a little bit of work? Okay. Let's forget about last night. And uh, let's just, like, it's a new day, right? By last night, I mean our beloved team's uh, really hard loss. Um, good. Uh, so the, the major question that we're asking is, if we are here to bear the image of God, well, then what is God like? That seems pretty basic, right? Like, if we're here to resemble God in some way, in our character, in our behavior, in our activity in the world, well, then we have to figure out what God is like, because that would sort of have a direct bearing on what it means for us to bear that sacred image in the world, right? That's where we got to the creativity thing last week. Today, I want to do a little more observing in the text and just ask more questions about what does the Bible say that God is like and what would that mean for us? And today, we're going to go from the first chapter of Genesis where we were last week all the way to the New Testament. This is where the story of Jesus starts to be told in the scriptures. And we're going to, uh, we're going to observe something kind of peculiar and we're going to work it out together, okay? So again, we're just asking... In this story, what is God like? Let's uh, start with this text. Jesus is speaking here, and of course, through the lens of the New Testament, Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is the life of God lived in the world. The things that Jesus says are God speaking in the world, right? That's the, the lens through which the New Testament views this whole story. So Jesus, the one who speaks as God, living the life of God, says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. So through the lens of this narrative, the way this story is being told, the one who speaks with the voice of God says to God, not your will, but mine be done. Let's keep going. Then in John 14, uh, Jesus is speaking to his friends, his disciples, and he says, don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who's doing his work. Let's go on to the next text here. This is John 1, 1 through 2. This is the beginning of John's gospel. He's speaking here of Christ or Jesus, and he says, in the beginning was the Word. That's sort of the stand-in here for Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Let's keep going. Uh, here we have uh, John talking, uh, showing Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit that's going to come. And Jesus says, I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. So Jesus is talking about this other advocate that he calls the spirit of truth. And he talks about that thing like a him, like a person with agency, with will, right? Uh, let's keep going. Here in, in Jesus' baptism, we see all this sort of brought together where Jesus, who again, through the lens of the story is the life of God in a body in the world who speaks with the voice of God. Jesus is being baptized and he went up out of the water and at that moment heaven was open and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him and a voice from heaven said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And all God's people said, no, all God's people said, huh? <laughs> if you're a little perplexed, that's appropriate. I'm trying to drive a challenge here. There's, a, there's a, something peculiar about these passages, right? 
These, these stories come out of a people, a time, and a place, a culture that has a very, very strong sense of the oneness of God, of the, the underlying unity of reality that God is one. This is seared into the consciousness of first century Jews. And it's a point of important distinction between them and the world around them that they encounter every day. So you have people who are deeply convinced of the oneness or the unity of God. And at the same time, they're deeply convinced that they've encountered the life of God lived through Jesus. And at the same time, they're convinced that when things like Pentecost happen and the Spirit shows up and energizes their lives in the world, that the Spirit seems to have its own sort of energy, will, personhood sort of thing, right? So you have people who are deeply convinced of the oneness of God who are also grappling with the fact that they've experienced God as Father and as Son and as Spirit. And after about a century of, of reflection, the church comes up with this really important idea, which is Trinity, that God is three persons in one substance. Now, this might be the part where things feel a little academic, but hang with me. I promise we're not trying to be academic about this, okay? I want to remind you, like, we're asking the question, what is God like? And I would argue that one of the most unique things that this tradition has to say to the world about the nature of God is that somehow God is three persons in one substance. Now, if it feels academic, let me just tell you from, from, my, from my two cents, from my perspective, like having gone back and read the way that the church worked out this doctrine, you can read the, the, the early voices in the church that are actually sorting this out. My experience of it is not that these are like academic theologians trying to make a philosophical point. My experience of, of actually reading the, the language of the church in the early centuries of the church is that these are people who have encountered a mystery and they're trying to get their arms around it. That they've been like, like right on the, the cusp of this divine encounter that has left them speechless. And so they have to find new language to describe this mystery that they have encountered in, in their life with God and in what they've seen in Jesus and in what the Spirit has done. It has the feeling of um, people who have encountered this divine mystery and are looking for all the language that they can find to wrap their arms around it. Because when we don't have language for things, it's really hard to live into things. So they've encountered this mystery and then they work it out. And um, it can feel a little bit heady. But at the end of the day, it's language for the mystery that we call God. So it probably, it probably ought to stretch us a little bit beyond the everyday way that we see things. Because of course we're talking about God, right? By the way, one of my favorite quotes, a guy named Augustine said, we're talking about God. What wonder is it that you do not understand? If you do understand, it is not God. I really love that. It helps me when I feel like I'm in over my head. It's like, of course you are. We're trying to wade into the waters of these divine mysteries, right? Yet, one sort of clarity that comes out of this experience is that somehow God is three persons in one substance. Somehow God, watch this, somehow God is a community. Somehow, in some strange, mysterious way, God is a community. Which means, if God is a community, then we cannot bear the image of God alone. Right? If to bear the image of God is to resemble God, and if one of the fundamental revelations of God in this story is that God is somehow a community, well, then we ought to run with this and say to ourselves, if God is a community, then we cannot bear the image of God alone. Tracking with me? Hanging with me? Let's play around with this for a little bit and look at a few of the ways that this actually shows up in the scriptures. I want to talk about the other, the gifts, and the one way that you can break communion. 
You can break this meal. I don't know if you knew that. We're going to get to that in a bit. I want to talk about the other, the gifts, and the one way that you can actually break communion or Eucharist. First of all, uh, the other. Watch what Jesus says in Matthew 25, and don't let this like, wash over you too easily or quickly here. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you, a stranger, and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You notice what Jesus did there? This is the voice of God speaking. And he locates himself in the people who are most inconvenient in your life. He actually locates himself as, as the divine. He locates himself in the people who are most inconvenient in your life, the people who are most easy to dismiss in your life. That's actually where Jesus locates the life of God for anybody who's looking for God in the world. This is why, like, often when we preach everyone in Icon, like, last couple of years, we started the year working through the mantras. So why when we preach this, we, we talk a lot about uh, othering people, dismissing people, the kind of lines that we can draw, whether personal, relational, racial, economic, national, like the lines that we can draw that cause us to see the full humanity of some people and not of others, right? Now, I've shared this whole little thing before, but just as a bit of review, because not everybody was here for it. I usually tell the story about Snotty Lady at the Barnes & Noble. Some of you remember this. So I was in high school, and I was um, working at Barnes & Noble, and I was in the cafe one day making the drinks at the espresso machine. And if you've never worked retail, you may not know just how terrible human beings can be. Working retail, being on the other side of a service counter, or wearing an apron, or coming up to a table with a pad to take your order, exposes you to some of the worst of everyday humanity. It'll blow your mind. You, like, you wouldn't even believe what people are capable of right here in this town, until you wait tables or make them coffee. But anyway, I'm there making coffee one day, and, and my friend Jenny is ringing people up at the cash register to my right, when this woman comes in who just completely unprovoked, unpreempted, for no good reason to start, she just wants to treat Jenny like crap. And so for like five minutes, she's just condescending, berating, looking for any possible reason to abuse Jenny. And I'm sitting over here making the espresso drink, thinking about how I could get some snot and snotty ladies coffee, <laughs> kind of watching this whole thing and really, really frustrated about it, right? Well, if you know the story, you know that manager lady had walked up behind snotty lady, and manager lady's watching snotty lady treat Jenny like crap, and manager lady really cares about her employees. And so manager lady is like looking for a chance to change the status quo of the situation. And manager lady is clever. I really liked her. She was really great to work for. So rather than just directly confronting it, she found a more prophetic, interesting way to alter the status quo so that when snotty lady took a beat for a minute to like reload her ammo or whatever, manager lady spoke truth into the situation over the shoulder of snotty lady because manager lady knew something that snotty lady didn't know. What manager lady knew was that Jenny was about to go to Harvard. And so manager lady says over the shoulder of snotty lady, Jenny, I heard you got into Harvard. Are you excited? And you can imagine snotty lady just turned on a dime. 
All of a sudden, there's a human being in front of her, right? And all of a sudden, she's lauding her and trying to build a bridge with her and trying to relate to her when a second ago, she was just treating her like crap. Now, the reason I tell that story is because it, it's just an everyday illustration of the ways that we can see the humanity of some people and not of others. And something as, as simple as where you're going to go to college all of a sudden made Jenny like eligible for dignity in this woman's eyes, right? But this past January, if you remember me telling the story, I told you about like chapter two in the story, which is I took that sermon to Ireland and I was there preaching last year at a, a, a friend church there in Ireland in Belfast. And I preach this whole sermon about honoring the dignity of every single person. I tell the snotty lady story and I get to the end of the story and somebody raises their hand in the church. And I was looking around like, do we do, we do that here? I don't, this isn't my house. Like I'm looking at my buddy Dave who's the pastor like, him? Like, you know, I don't know if this is the kind of voice I want to hear from, but I don't know what else to do. And it's starting to feel rude. So I, I, I say, uh, y- yes, sir. And he just asked me four questions or four words. One question. Remember, I've just preached an aria to honoring the dignity of every single person. I've talked about labels and language and the ways that we dismiss people. I've done all this for, by the way, I'm also feeling pretty good. Like you take your sermon on the road and you don't know if it's going to be a good day, but I'm like, I think I'm nailing this one. Like I'm feeling strong about it. And then he raises his hand and he just kills me with four words. What about snotty lady? Because I've just preached a whole sermon about honoring the dignity of every single person in the world, especially the people that you don't like, especially the people that you have a problem with. And in it, I created a character named Snotty Lady. And I just trample on Snotty Lady for the whole sermon. I just keep beating her up in the sermon. And he simply asks, what about Snotty Lady? I thought, oh, man, yeah. Shoot. <laughs> right? I say that because to me, it just reminds me like just how insidious this is that we can dismiss people. Because I'm literally preaching a sermon, celebrating the dignity of everyone. And in it, I just start beating up on this character who's really convenient for the story that I'm trying to tell. And it's, it's just so easy to do that, right? The minute we think we have this figured out, we've probably just drawn a different line. We might have included some people at the expense of other people. And we might have swapped out the categories, but we keep drawing these lines and throwing people away. And Jesus tells a story about need. He specifically describes people who are in the kind of circumstances that um, are often the most hurt by society. And then he says, that's actually where I'm located. So if you're looking for God in the world, you're going to have to look for God among the people that you dismiss or look past or find inconvenient or problematic in your life. Um, This is the way that the scriptures talk about the other and all the different ways that people can be othered, and God choosing to locate God's self in the other, calling us toward the other to honor God, right? Uh, We talked about the other. Um, Let's talk about the gifts. Uh, Because perhaps part of the tragedy of excluding people and dismissing people is that we we actually miss what they have to say to us or how they can sharpen us or how it is that the image of God is better expressed when we're together, right? Uh, for example, 1 Corinthians is one of the several places in the New Testament where we read about the ways that we need each other in the body called the church. So here Paul writes and says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. It can't be done that way when we belong to one another. And if, the, if, if God is a community, 
then we cannot bear the image of God alone without each other. So anytime that we're able to say, I don't need you, I don't want you, you're inconvenient to me, you're a problem for me, that might be the place where we're actually forsaking the fullness of God's image in the world. Now, this plays out on all sorts of ways, from friends that have a hard word to share with you all the way to systemic issues in the world, right? Let me start with the friends that have a hard word for you. Uh, when I was in college, I was interning at a church, and my boss was also a really good friend. He was a person I had a lot of respect for. It was good working for him. He was a few years older than me, really smart, really kind. And uh, I remember there was this very peculiar moment uh, when we were both in the sanctuary of the church setting up for some stuff, and he said, hey, you got a minute? Sit down. I was like, all right. So we'd sit down on these blue pews. I don't know why they were blue, but they were blue. And this is going back 16 years, and it still is like burned into me. He, he says, hey, Jay, this is kind of awkward, but I'm like, uh-oh. He says, um, he says like, I, I love you, I believe in you, I love working with you, um, you have a lot of good things in your life, a lot of gifts, a lot of talent. He said, um, but I just feel like I need to tell you that when you say you're going to show up, you need to show up. When you say yes, you need to follow through. He says, you're a good guy, but you're a flake. And it's going to get in the way of anything else that you want to do in the world. And if you're not careful, you're going to leave behind you a trail of people who are hurt by your inability to live up to your commitments. I know, right? Now, what do I do in that moment? I've got a choice to make, right? I mean, everybody wants to feel a little bit like God in the world. Everybody wants to feel powerful and to feel potential and to feel talented and to feel strong and to feel like you have something to offer the world. And everything he was saying to me did not make me feel like God. <laughs> it humbled me. It actually hurt, even though it was loving and kind and it was truth and it was the right thing for him to say to me. But I've got a choice to make in that moment. All the ways that I want to live like God in the world or look like God in the world or, or live up to who I am in the world, I can decide I'm either going to get there in spite of him or because of him, right? I'm either going to get there in, in, in like I, I don't want to hear that, that's distracting, that just kind of harshes my vibe, or, or I'm going to remember that if God's a community, then we, we cannot bear the image of God alone. It's actually inherent in the nature of bearing the image of God that we are interdependent, that we belong to each other, that we need each other. And if I remember that in that moment, then maybe I say, this is probably the gift that I need right now so I can live up a little more to who I actually am, right? To this day, I don't entirely know why that conversation marked me so much, but it marked me so much. And I'll say like in the year 2019, when everybody's too busy and we all have seven opportunities a day to have conflicting commitments and be in too many places at once, that simple clarity he gave me, like, let your yes be yes, show up where you said you were going to show up, follow through, has been this incredible gift of clarity for me when life is really complicated and there's far too many days where I'm tempted to to shirk on that really simple wisdom, right? We always have these choices to make about whether we think we can bear the image of God, whether we can live up to who we are in spite of one another or because of one another. Sometimes the because of one another is just allowing the people around us to sharpen us, to challenge us, to call us out to be better. Sometimes it goes further than that. It's not always just your friends. Sometimes it's um, the idea that we get really narrow on our Christian traditions and we think, the, the sliver of Christianity that we're a part of is the, is, the, is the only part that we need, not realizing that we're probably going to get closer to bearing the image of God together for the world when we 
to our brothers and sisters from, from many traditions and discover that there's actually some riches there for them too that we can learn from, right? This is why, like Dan said, we try to be liturgically promiscuous around here. It's like we actually believe that we, we need all of it, that we need, uh, we need the wisdom of our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters, and we need the wisdom of our Anabaptist brothers and sisters, and our charismatic brothers and sisters, and our low church brothers and sisters, and our high church brothers and sisters. We, like, we need, we need all of it. It's fuller and truer and better when we have all of it, right? This is also why um, the conversation around diversity, I think, is actually so important. And some people in the room right now are like, yes. And some people in the room are rolling their eyes because it feels PCD or something like that. I don't know. But like, I, like I'll just say, like, if it's true that, that God is a community and we cannot bear the image of God alone, then it, it just seems so obvious to me that we, we need to learn from diverse voices and have diverse voices at the table and diverse voices on this stage, right? I remember um, I was filling out an application to work at a, another church a while ago. Don't worry, it was pre-SBCC days. <laughs> and part of the application was to list, um, list the scholars and the theological voices that had most shaped you. And I'll never forget, guys, I listed 30-some books or voices on that list. And then I stepped back and I realized it was all white men and one woman. And I don't say that, again, to be like PC. I just, like, it just seems so obvious to me that I was exposing myself to a fairly narrow bandwidth of experience. I mean, that's just obvious, right? And anybody who's interested in learning is probably going to want to look for better input, broader input, more diverse sort of perspectives on the things that you're trying to learn about. Um, and you can go on and on. We can talk about diverse voices. We could talk about the reading list. We could talk about the friend that shows up. But every day you and I have questions to ask. Do we think we can do it alone? Can we bear the image of God alone? Is God's life being lived in the world when it's just me or just the people who look like me or just the voices that are easy for me to listen to? Or are we going to open ourselves up to the God who says, I'm actually locating myself in the people who are most inconvenient for you? Like, there I was, he says. And he says there's like actually a reckoning to be had about whether we're able to see him there. So we've talked about um, the other, and we've talked about the gifts. Um, and now I want to talk about how to ruin communion, how to, how to break communion. Uh, if you grew up in a tradition that practiced communion or Eucharist, maybe you've heard this verse. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Has anybody ever heard that verse in connection to communion? Yeah, not everyone, but if, if you've been around this tradition, you might have heard that verse before. I grew up in church that practiced this meal every week. I heard this verse over and over and over and over again. And the thing that this verse did to me and the way that it was taught to me was it led me into this hyper-individualized sort of shaming self-reflection about all the ways that I had been bad this week. And since Jesus is perfect and this is Jesus somehow, I got to reckon with the fact that I'm not worthy of this meal. And so I, I like, remember that we would pass the plates for communion and I would sit on my little seat on the blue pew, same church. I would sit on my little seat in, on the blue pew and then I would close my eyes and I would have a me and Jesus moment about all the ways I was unworthy and terrible for this meal. And then I would hope that having reckoned with the fact that I was unworthy and terrible for this meal, that would somehow prevent me from being judged for having this meal because I was trying to recognize Jesus in the meal and he's perfect and I'm not. Anybody been there? Yeah. Anybody had this verse like do that to you? Yeah. Here's the thing. Then I actually read the whole dang book. <laughs> I don't think this verse has anything to do with what I just described actually. 
I don't think this verse is meant to drive you into an individualized reflection on what's wrong with you. I actually think it's meant to do exactly the opposite, because let me show you what Paul's been talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's go back just a few verses. Paul says, when you come together, it's not the Lord's supper you eat. In other words, you broke it. <laughs> like You have somehow ruined this. This is no longer the Lord's supper meal, even though you think you're, you're eating the Lord's supper meal. Uh, for when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. This whole chapter is about a communal meal whose entire purpose is welcoming one another at Jesus' table. He says the way that you ruined it, the way that you broke it, is you're coming to this meal individualized, disregarding the brothers and sisters on your right and left. So when he says anybody who eats and drinks without recognizing the body has a problem, what's the body he's talking about? You and me, the brothers and sisters. In Paul's letters, the body of Christ overwhelmingly refers to the church, to the people, to the flesh and blood bodies, to the lives on your right and left, to, the, to that uncommon family that is being brought together of rich and poor, of insiders and outsiders, of the prestigious and those who have been kicked to the curb, all finding one another at the table. And he says, the way that you break this meal is when, is when you come to it in a way that disregards your brothers or your sisters, and the way perhaps that you restore it is you come to this meal with your eyes wide open celebrating the family that you are sharing it with. This is, a, this is a communal meal for people who know that God is a community, so we cannot bear the image of God alone. Um, we have this icon, which I told Caleb I was going to use earlier, my bad. Uh, you might have noticed, this is our illustration for everyone in icon, uh, an artist named Scott Erickson helped us create. I love this image. Um, You'll note there are three people with their arms around one another embracing each other, and their heads are bowed toward one another in honor. You kind of see that in the symbolism here? But of course, if you, if you look at it for a moment, you also realize that in that community, as people are embraced and we bow toward one another in honor, this symbol of the Trinity is formed. Those three circles is a sort of classic symbol of the Trinity, right? That somehow the image of God, this fullness of God who is Father and Son and Spirit, of God who is a community, somehow that's made manifest in, in, in this room even when we honor one another, in our lives when we honor one another, when we realize that we cannot bear this image alone, right? This, by the way, is why we sit in the round, why we sit in a circle. Because like, if we're a church, we're here to focus on God, right? And it's kind of central to what a church is. And yet, like, if we're looking for him... Like, our actual conviction is the closest that we're going to get to seeing him is probably looking across the room at other people. That if you came in here looking for an icon of God, good news, just look across the room at your brothers and your sisters, at your neighbors, because that's probably the place where you're most likely to actually discover some revelation of God for the world that we're living in right now. If God is a community, then we cannot bear the image of God alone. We... Um, we wanted to sit with a few questions that I think might uh, help us reflect on this as we come to the table that we call Eucharist or Communion. And so I want to share these questions with you, and then I'm going to invite our servers uh, up here so that I can serve them, and then I'll invite you uh, to meditate or reflect on these if you'd like, and if you'd like uh, to come forward to the table to receive. Where have you seen God in others lately? Have you seen any spark of the divine in someone else? in your neighbor, in the community? 
Where do you have the hardest time seeing God in others? Is it anybody who belongs to another political tribe? Is it uh, people with different personalities? Is it people you work with? Is it somebody you go home to every day? (laughs) How have others helped you see God in yourself? Have you ever discovered somebody else had the ability to see it in you before you could? And they spoke it over you, they told you what they saw in you, and because of the words they spoke, it changed you somehow, and you woke up a little bit? How could you honor the image of God by honoring others this week? If you, if you walk out of here today and think, man, I just, I wanna honor God, I wanna love God, I wanna show devotion to God, is it possible that the best opportunity that you have for that is to live your life in bowed reverence toward other people, especially the inconvenient ones, the people you disagree with, the people who are a problem for you? What if that's actually the act of devotion that you're being called to today? Uh, Let me invite those who are gonna serve you to come forward here to the stage. And while they do that, I wanna remind you that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. And then he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of a new covenant forged in my blood. This is the cup of faithfulness and promise of the unending love of God. Take and drink. So God, I pray that these elements would be for us today, uh, the life of Jesus given for the world. I pray that somehow at this meal, at this table, we would find ourselves awakening to the presence of the image of God in others. I pray that for any of us who need to repent, that in coming to the table today, we would just lay down some pattern of excluding people or ignoring people or trampling over your image in the other. I pray we would lay those things down as we come to the table today. I pray too that we'd be lifted up somehow, that we would look around this room perhaps and discover somehow a picture of you shining through these bodies and stories and lives that fill this room. I pray that we get a sense that it's old bodies and young bodies and black bodies and brown bodies and white bodies, it's women's bodies, it's children's bodies, it's these lives that are lived in in flesh and blood that you've chosen to reveal yourself through. Pray give us a vision for that today. Pray that we would welcome the gifts of one another, the strength of one another, the word from one another when we need to learn. Pray that we have a sense of the largesse of God who has deposited such riches in the traditions of our brothers and sisters. I pray that we would find this meal today to be a taste of your kindness to us. We pray these things through Christ. And we all said, amen. So may you know that you are a living, breathing, sacred image of God. May you know that it is good for you to be you. May you know that your neighbor, your brother, your sister is a living, breathing image of our God and that it's good for them to be them. And may we know that the image of God is too big for any one of us to carry or to give to the world, but that together, somehow, 
God shows up. May we trust that because God is a community, we cannot bear the image without one another. And may grace and peace be with you. Amen. Love you guys. See you next week.